Okay, so we're officially recording. I am here with Lorraine Montague. She is the author of Bruja's The Magic and Power of Witches of Color. And I got a copy and I just started kind of going through it this last week. And I don't know what I was expecting, but it's a really cool book. I like, I want to just like immediately start picking your brain about the book and the story, but I kind of just want to start from the beginning and work our way there. Um, So first of all, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. So I wanted to kind of start at, I guess, the beginning of your personal spiritual journey, because, you know, looking at your your social media platform, and then obviously the content of the book that you've written, you do lead a very magical lifestyle and existence. So I'm curious how that all began for you. Well, um, I started off my life um, very much in a traditional way um, as a child of immigrants pursuing the American dream. Uh, I was always, you know, a, a literature student, but was kind of funneled into business instead because that's what makes money. So I got into the business side of journalism and then um, the recession happened and I found myself just lost like so many of us in the millennial generation. And so I sought refuge in higher education and I got my master's and I got my PhD and I did some soul searching in there. And I realized, you know, what the economies as fragile as they are, you know, things could just fall out from right under you. I was just tired of pursuing things that didn't really matter to me. So I asked myself if I could have a project during this, Um, time, what would it be? And I really wanted to dig into my ancestry. uh, And I started off by um, looking into my great grandmother's history, because she was a spirit medium in Cuba. So that was really the entry point for this project. She was an SBDB site called, um, it's related to the spiritism movement that also took hold here in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and she basically spoke to the dead for families. They would come to her from all over and she would hold seances. Yes. I <laughs> by this when yeah. I was a child, but we wouldn't talk about it. Like the family didn't talk about it. It wasn't something that was mentioned. Our exile from Cuba and the, you know, immigration to this country and everything was just like kind of not spoken about, and we were just expected to assimilate, to succeed, to make money, you know, and to, you know, be Catholic, Christian, um, like, you know, it's a common story. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I always had this question mark, and I started to, when I was a child, see things in the room, and feel like things were trying to communicate with me in some way and I didn't know it was scary and I didn't know what to do. So I asked my great grandmother because she was alive while I was alive, mm-hmm. you know, and she, she was a very old lady and she just told me to close my eyes and pray. And it was just kind of a letdown. You know, I imagined this like really big talk and she would train me before she died. Yeah. So she died. 
I never got, you know, the story. And so in my PhD, I really wanted to like try to explore her life and what traditions might have led her to do this work and how I might, you know, quote unquote, reclaim that for myself. Mm -hmm. When you had these sort of like apparitions appearing for you when you were young, are there any experiences that you had that stick with you, like especially hard than others? Yes. And I write about it in the book. Um, there was a, a shadow that took the form of a female, like witch, um, and kind of looked like the girl from the ring. Uh, That's my nightmare. You know, <laughs> I know. It's so scary. Uh, sometimes it would appear like a, a smoky form, like a like a billowy smoke, um, and would always try to get onto the bed and like into my body um and I would be paralyzed and um and it would it would feel like my body was like coming untethered like my spirit was coming untethered from my body and that the first time it happened was I was a child um and so I learned how to keep her in her corner when she appeared I learned how to like not let that happen again mm-hmm. um, and I basically was just scared of it my whole life, scared of letting it come fully. And when you, like, learned how to keep it in its corner, this is intuitively, like, you taught yourself? Yes, yeah. It was, like, this strange in-between controlling and not controlling. Mm-hmm. You know, if I tried to control too much, she would come. If I just ignored her completely, she would come. So it was, like, this in-between yeah. concentration. <laughs> to like keep it at bay yeah did she ever make reappearances as an adult sorry my my puppy just like barked at nothing <laughs> um yeah so it, it's never gone away uh, over time I have gotten less scared and I've experimented with moving around the room like I guess what we call astral projection mm-hmm. uh, and just uh having fun with it instead of being scared but I still do have the occasional kind of like unwanted visitor feeling in the room and um sometimes when I'm in other people's homes and I'm expecting something you know and I feel like there's a presence and every now and then my partners will always inevitably like the you know my partners who I share a bed with will like hear me scream or you know, will see me scared because it's unexpected. And so over the years, I've, I've always wondered what this is, you know, and uh, there's like a lot of theories and there's neurological theories and there's mm-hmm. psychological theories. And then there's obviously the occult theories. And I don't know, maybe it's all of them. I like that you pull from multiple, like, you know, like multiple theories, I guess. I was like, I was trying to find a different word, but the word is theory. I like that you pull from multiple theories because I think when people are all magical or all scientific, it's like a disservice to yourself, I think, because, you know, I mean, we've all met the person who's too woo for. (laughs) Yeah, I think I try in the book to provide different avenues 
for people so that readers, no matter where they're coming from, you know, they can relate, mm-hmm. you know, so some people really um, look for those scientific explanations. Some people look for the behavioral, you know, studies. And so in terms of the shadow that I write about and um, particularly generational trauma and the kind of inherited trauma that I write about, um, I like to pull from different kinds of studies. Yeah. And that was actually one of the things that I had a note that I had in my notes um, the, fir- the first thing in my notes, by the way, is the fact that you, when you wrote the dedication to your abuelitas and you had one named, um, Elvira, I'm like, well, of course she turned yes. out to be a witch. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's medium one. <laughs> yes. Oh, really? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I'm going to have to tell Cassandra that cause I actually know her. So I'm going to t- tell her that you, I'm going to tell her about your grandma, but I wanted to talk oh, about, yeah. um, the thing that interested me right away when I was just reading kind of like the note to the reader was when you were talking about like approaching generational shadows and like diving into them and kind of psychically opening yourself up to that so you could kind of understand your ancestors more. And I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, So I guess my method was what, I guess what I've done before that was I was trying to return to something I never had. Um, you know, I physically went to Cuba when it opened up and I tried to go quote unquote back and quickly found that there is no going back. You know, I didn't fully belong there and people told me so. And um, I never felt like I fully belonged you know, where I grew up in Miami either. And so I was in this in-between space and I realized that as much as we want to go back to our ancestries and find that kind of magical line and connect to indigenous wisdom and all that stuff, you can't really do that without unlearning so much first and undoing the stuff that's kept you from it in the first place. And yeah, You know, so, and especially as like a light skinned Latina, you know, I'm white passing. I've just walked through the world in a different way than, you know, my brown cousins and my brown brother, even. Um, I just felt like I had to undo the problems of the family. Um, And I've always kind of felt, and I think a lot of witches feel this, like this burden to do that in their families. And so I felt like I just needed to like unsilence things, the things that we'd kept silent in our line for so long, like the traumas that we'd experienced and just the stuff that doesn't make us look so good, you know, Um, the stories that we don't like to tell because it doesn't make us look good. And also the stories about myself, not just about my family um, that I struggle with. And so I basically my, you know, the first, part of all of it was breaking the generational silences Mm -hmm. and it was a really hard thing to do because you're writing about your family and you're telling things that they really don't want you to tell and I've already post publication have gotten nasty messages and um, from some family members and you know some some comments or have heard some about some rumors of um, about me, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, and so it's it's uncomfortable, and it's almost it's re-triggering too a lot of it um, to go through it. But I do think that's the first part. I think that's what we're doing with this work is saying how did we how did we perpetuate you know the the colonizer in our lives? How did we um, you know how did we uh, abandon the wisdom that we came from in pursuit of capitalism, of success, or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Totally. When you have these sort of like nasty messages from certain family members, I'm assuming and I'm hoping that there's a balance where you have other family members who are supportive of your work. And do you feel like you've helped yeah. your family members understand your guys's history more deeply with the research that you've done and the writing that you've done? I do think so. I've gotten a couple of nice messages from my cousins and they just love seeing our grandmother's um, story mm-hmm. written down for the first time. You know, she's the kind of lady that nobody would have ever written about. You know, she was a cleaning lady and she didn't have a happy life. Um, and and after she died, she died during the pandemic and I didn't expect to write about her for this book, but it was just happening at the time. And basically that's the book turned into like, I'm writing about what's happening because the pandemic threw the plan out the window, you know? Right. Um, so I, you know, unexpectedly learned after her death, a lot of her stories from the people who were at the funeral, who started talking and, I realized as they were talking, they mentioned this convent that she was, um, that she was sent to when she was 15 or or younger than like probably 13, um, because they didn't want her to, um, you know, get with a guy that she was into. (laughs) Um, and I, in doing a little research, I realized it, it was actually a convent that, um, stemmed from, a European one that began during like the the witch uh, hunts in Europe and would house women who were thought to be witches and would protect them, oh. but would also convert. Hey, cage them, convert them. Um, and then that spread. So it was called El Buen Pastor or the Good Pastor. Um, and the convent spread throughout Latin America and my grandmother was sent to one of them. So I was surprised to see that she is tied to this kind of history of witch hunts in a, in a roundabout way. Um, and I looked into the convent today and it's actually a woman's jail. It's one of the most So not notorious. changed, hasn't changed much. <laughs> no, and it's, it's gotten worse and it's an actual jail. Um, and they disproportionately jail indigenous women. Um, and it's, it made me, like, just see my grandmother in a whole different light because she, she complained about these things where we thought she was exaggerating. She was just that kind of woman. She had a, a difficult life, and she wanted us to know. And um, I guess we didn't really believe her, and it made me, like, sad but also felt cathartic to be able to tell her story. And I think, yeah, I think my family will benefit from that, even if it's a hard story to hear. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Mm -hmm. I know that you have this sort of like unique perspective where you do research, but you also have like an intuitive and magical disposition. So I'm curious that when you were doing this writing about your grandmother or about any of the other magical, you know, people that you mentioned in your book, did you feel like you were connecting from beyond the veil and that like maybe she was helping you fill in certain blanks in the story? I really did. I really did. I'm not just saying that. I um, I had a really, really hard pandemic. I know a lot of us did. Um, I lost somebody close to me, um, a child, and I was in deep grief. And it was a really hard thing to do to like return to the project again and again in that state. Um, and one of the things I would do every day was Sometimes crawl is all I could do in like the deep depression I was in to my ancestral altar and talk to my grandmothers, all of them. And the ones I didn't know even just like my ancestors and say, you went through some hard shit. Mm-hmm. I know I can survive this. Um, help me. And I would just ask for help every single day to just keep going and keep writing um, through what was the worst time of my life and so yeah I did feel like they were helping me and I did feel like there was this unknown connection this this thing this channel I guess that was open and I was able to see parts of the story I hadn't seen before yeah Uh, yeah do you feel like they your grandma's like feels good that she became such a big part of the story I don't know. I don't know. You know, I've actually been having bad dreams about her recently. Um, Like really scary ones in which she's like a monster. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like there was the other day I was, uh, the dream was I was in a house with lots of windows and it was really bright inside and really dark outside. And I could just tell that there was a figure out there and it was, it was a dark figure. And when I opened the door, it was her, but she was, but then she turned into a monster and charged at me and I woke up and I woke up in a sweat and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. So I don't know. I feel like she went through so much and there's still so much I'm still processing. And I want to think that she's happy wherever she is, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the story isn't finished. Maybe. And I mean, I've like, I have definitely heard other people have similar experiences where a past loved one was like this, like they would have terrifying nightmares, horrifying nightmares about the person after they passed. And I like, I feel like I want to ask you, like, how do you resolve that? Like, how do you not let that like dig away at your psyche? What, how do you make peace with that? Or to the, to the best of your ability, how do you make peace with it? I guess I'm still working on that. Um, I think that the rift in my family and the different reactions to the same stories is where it's at. Like the, that wisdom is in there somewhere. And on my part, I can maybe do my part by like trying to communicate with them and, 
and work it out. And maybe this will be, even though it's uncomfortable, an opening to talk about stuff we've never talked about. And maybe in that we can resolve some stuff, the living. Those of us who are still living can resolve some things mm-hmm. <laughs> that might put her memory to rest. Because she had a lot of children and grandchildren. I think there's like 33 of us total. Yeah. So there's a lot of stories there and a lot of pain and a lot of joy too, but that she didn't totally get to be a part of. So, right. um, so I don't know, I guess it's, it's up to the living for us to, to make amends and to talk things through and to get things out in the open. And I guess this is my contribution to that, even though not everyone's on board, are. but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, um, I hadn't had a chance to finish the book completely, but I have started it and I'm really excited to get deeper into it because it's not just like your story. It's a collection of stories from different witches, different, like I saw Juliet Diaz is in there and you pull Mm -hmm. from a lot of, um, different people's experiences. What was it Mm -hmm. like for you to not only find those connections, um, but to like nourish them and hear people's stories because like it's, you know, it's not a secret and it's even mentioned in your book that like the spiritual community is hypersaturated with just like white straight women. And so mm-hmm. what was it like for you to kind of dig away at that pull, pull away, like sort through it and find the people that you wanted to talk to? Oh, it was so wonderful. It was the best part of the project to connect with others. Um, and when I first started, because I came from academia and I didn't have a big platform or anything, I still don't, you know, it's pretty small compared to a lot of theirs. Yeah. Um, and so I, I had like major imposter syndrome of like, should I be the one writing this? Um, and don't you have a PhD? <laughs> yeah. I never, I never, ended. yeah. And I wrote, I wrote about this, you know, during my PhD. And um, I was like, so of course like, I should be writing it. Come on. <laughs> I'm just trying to hype you up. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and they, they did the same, you know, and I think that was, um, that was a special part of it as I realized like, okay, you know, maybe not everyone would be interested in talking to you, but these people who are interested are so supportive and so, um, inspirational and their stories you know they they give generously of their stories Mm -hmm. um for the benefit of all of us and it was a great honor to you know like be a conduit of their stories um that they trusted me with and I they each helped me in different ways and throughout the book I kind of write my stories in relation to theirs right um and they during this during the whole pandemic I just really leaned on speaking with them and taking their workshops and you know their their work that they were offering I was consuming it and it was really helpful to me um and so I guess the process of writing was just to show like what was helpful to me and our relationships you know and Mm -hmm. how and they varied, like, you know, I was closer to some, some than others. Um, but it was, it was just really healing to feel like here we are in community during the hardest time. And yeah. the pandemic actually brought us closer together because we're just, you know, this virtual community that is now connecting even more and offering even more virtually. Um, yeah. And so 
So it just felt like I was putting together like a little yearbook of the pandemic bruja, you know, Um, and like, this is what, this is, these are the people I know. And this this is what helped me. And here's some people to follow. And I, um, from the beginning wanted to be a platform for others, not just myself, because I think, you know, uh, I love how to books. I have many of them and I love them, but I don't think that's my role is to say I am the expert and here's how, how to exactly do things. Um, I think my role has always been, um, kind of the magpie. I'm a Gemini. Uh, so I just bring things together and yeah, well, like, here's nice. all, here's all the things. Here are all yeah. the people and the stories. <laughs> and certainly not all of them, just some, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> what were, what were some of your favorite stories included in the book, whether it came from you or someone that you spoke to, like what were, what are some of the, I don't know, the parts that stick with you or feel the most memorable to you? Hmm. Oh my God. There's so many. I hate to, I hate to admit them, but, um, I, I really identified with Natalie Farson's story in chapter three called the ancestral curse she talks about how her mom died and and her maternal line and she talks about you know the way that they connected to indigenous wisdom for healing and then the ways that they also reached out to other traditions but but kind of also were scared of those traditions so like the brujos and the brujas of Santeria, you know, specifically, um, we were raised to, some of us were raised to think like that's bad magic or black magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this uh, paradox of, you know, always seeking those kind of stronger traditions, but then um, shunning them at the same time or keeping them secret. And right. so... I think her story really like got to the heart of like the problem that we've been having uh, and why brujas are trying to reemerge to fix the the problem of of this um, secrecy and like the the way that we have um, stigmatized certain things, yeah, um, certain traditions. So, um, and particularly, you know, black traditions, uh, traditions that are practiced historically by black people. And so there are these racist undertones to the way that we were raised to believe what was good or bad. Totally, Um, totally. So those kind of stories that kind of get to the heart of that, those, those political problems and those racial and social problems are my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, I, I'm laughing because it's like, it's not, it's, it's not usually like associated with magic and love and light. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I think the love and like crew can like fuck off, like to be honest, cause it's just like, it gets really toxic when you run from the shadow. And because like, to me, when you get to love and light, like there goes your accountability and like yeah. anytime anyone bothers you, it's because they're not enlightened versus like you acknowledging what your reaction to something is. So I like, I, I, I'm all for 
getting away from the love and light thing. I do love though in your book because like it is so unique and that's kind of what I was trying to speak to when I was saying like I didn't know what to expect when I got this book in the mail but it like it has so many beautiful layers of you know talking about magic talking about like how magic has been kind of taken away from so many people with just like you know the like the Catholic and the Christian and the mega religions Um, But it's also like, it's not just political, it's also magical. But then like, there are real rituals in here. And there are like, there are instructional portions of the book. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. I've never seen a book like this. I love it so much. I'm like, so excited to read the entire thing. I'm pissed Uh I didn't have enough time to finish it before we talked because I feel like as I go through it, I'm gonna be like, Oh, my God, this is so awesome. I do love another talk later then. Oh, we'll we'll for sure have to. We will for sure have to. I I love though that you do have a a chapter about general generational uh, curses because this is something that it like it can be a difficult thing for me as a reader because when we have like charlatan readers who say you have a generational curse and you have to pay me to break it like then those Mm. people come to me because like they can't afford the thousands of dollars or whatever and they just want a second opinion I guess and and they'll come to me freaked out that they're cursed and so like I'm just kind of curious what your personal perspective about general curses it like uh, generational curses is and sort of like how someone can resolve that on their own yeah, so um, I, in the book, go into the this this kind of stigma around uh, mental health um, in the Latinx community. We were raised to say you know that things were external to us, and so sometimes we said that our you know mental illness was. This, or, or, or whatever problem we were going through was a result of um, a demon or a curse and we would have an exorcism around it. And I think that there's something actually really beautiful in externalizing problems like that into the occult and dealing with it in an occult way. Obviously, that's what, you know, that's why I call myself a witch. Um, but it really um, takes the responsibility away from the humans Um, and really when we dig deep enough we can see how these problems are systemic that they're patterns that we're not alone in them they're not just family demons or curses we they're shared in a culture and why is that and it's probably because there's some systemic or institutional problem that we need to address so um, I think that there's harm in just calling it a curse and thinking like it's something inherently wrong with our line or our blood or ourselves. Um, and that there's help that we can seek on the personal level, you know, there's therapy and um, possibly drugs or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and on a cultural level, there's, you know, policies that we can change. There's things that we can push against. Um, you know, there's revolutions to be had. Um, against power structures that are keeping us feeling cursed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, particularly for immigrants, um, it's it's easy to see things as our, you know, like 
a, a problem on our end, but what is it about the system we're trying to plug into that's not working? And I saw this theme again and again in the stories. It's like, you know, once we start talking to each other, and that's why it's so important to break the silence, we realize, oh, it's not just my family. Oh, it's you too. Oh, you're going through the same thing. I had no idea. Yeah. And it sounds, it sounds naive now because now we're this big community online. But like before that, before Instagram, and you know, when we were kids, we thought we were alone. You know, we thought we were the only ones who were looking and only finding things from European traditions that weren't quite it, you know, and we thought we were the only ones seeking this and, and wanting it. And now as we come together, we realize, wow, we're not alone. Yeah. And, and our problems are not isolated. And this isn't a curse. <laughs> this yeah. is an opportunity and a blessing. And yeah, there's problems and we need to address them. Um, we need to take responsibility, but also have some grace and be kind to ourselves because we've gone through a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you were, when you were younger and you were like, you know, kind of like you were just speaking of like, like leaky, like looking for some sort of spiritual guidance or spiritual information, you mostly found like European based mm-hmm. content. What was it that you kind of found yourself? Were there any threads that you pulled at just cause it was the only thing that was available? Oh yeah. Um, I think the one, the most long lasting and even current one is Eastern, you know, traditions and philosophies, particularly yoga and Hinduism was my language for understanding things because it it was written, you know, there was a lot of written stuff and recorded stuff and there were practices and there was this whole thing called yoga. (laughs) You know, I discovered when I was a child and it was, really helpful. It was really practical. Um, it made me feel better. Um, and th- it, it always felt like something was missing, but it was the best thing I had. So I, and I continue to, you know, be a student of, of Eastern traditions and, um, yoga, but, um, of course it didn't, contain my history and it didn't explain why we were the way we were and why we had gone through what we'd gone through as a family so there was always that question mark Mm -hmm. at what point did you like at about what age or about what point in your life did you start calling yourself a witch um I guess like in in secret, I always did. And then in like my little covens with my girlfriends, we were always little witches, you know? Yes, please, please tell me more about your covens. <laughs> when I was like 12, we made a coven. I did that too. Oh. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like the thing that binds us all culturally together, like the millennial witches yeah. who grew up with the craft and all that. Um, no matter what you know your background is we were all enraptured by the craft (laughs) Um, yeah so there were four of us of course one we each took a direction you know in an element yes yes that's exactly (laughs) what we did (laughs) yeah so some things are very universal um and I you know we hexed boys and put nasty smelling potions in their lockers and whatnot you legit put <laughs> potions in their lockers 
Yeah, we would make like these disgusting potions that we let fester like for days, like out of I don't know, like mushed up potatoes. Who knows what, <laughs> what we put? Probably so disgusting. Um, yeah, I was I was like kind of mischievous and kind of mean a little bit mm-hmm. um, as a middle schooler, but I mean, who isn't? Yeah. Who is a terrible middle schooler? Really? The good ones, the good ones don't exist. Or if they did, like they were hiding or something, or or getting picked on by the shitty ones. Yeah, I was simultaneously a shitty one and one that was picked on. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a so, fun circle. Yeah, but I guess, but I guess that's all. What it's about is like having power in this powerless part of your life where everything's changing against your will, and it's so terrible and. It gave us like a little control. Mm-hmm. Did you get all, did you start to dress all goth and like really assume the role? Yeah. So I, I toyed with the goth thing, but it never quite stuck because I love color so much. Mm-hmm. So I was super into like Marilyn Manson's glam phase when it was like mechanical animals and he was like all dressed up like, you know, in as an alien with the wigs and stuff. Um, and then of course my little, preteen heart was shattered recently when mm-hmm. all the allegations came out against him and I realized like he is a terrible person yeah, <laughs> so, awful of out. course yeah you're like Ugh, all right I yeah guess it's better to have I, him be called out though of course mm-hmm. yeah I yeah fuck Manson <laughs> yeah for real but you can still like you know honor that part of yourself without being... yeah it was like you know, he kind of awakened some freak inside of me, you know, yes. and said, it's okay to be a freak. That's what the witch is. It's, you know, a queer, queer right. figure. Yeah, totally. You just got to embrace it. Now, so mm-hmm. you, so you started with Little Covens when you were like around 12. So then when did mm-hmm. it get, when did it become serious? When did it become like an actual practice for you that like had weight and depth to it? You know, not till very recently. I I went through like an atheist phase, and um, yeah, and just in college, I guess I was distracted, um, and the shadow kind of went away for a little while. Um, but then I came back with a vengeance um, when I was in my late twenties, and that's. I guess it was around my Saturn return. I was just going to say it. And also, we basically have the exact same timeline, just just FYI. Really? <laughs> like the same person. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so I'm in my, like, mid-30s now. Uh, yeah. You know, and, like, that that was a hard time. Um, yeah, I, had, I hadn't I had done my due diligence uh, with the Saturn return, and it was, like, punishing me. And I, um, I just started to have all these disturbances again very very big ones and um I dropped everything and I guess that's around the time that I started to do this research mm-hmm. um so I was like wow this is what's really important um I need to figure this out uh, and so I started going to therapy and I started working through you know these timelines and this these this phenomena you know that was happening um and that's I guess that's the thread that leads to this book um almost eight I guess eight years later yeah 
I love that. So even to speak more to the layers, there's like an under there's like an underlying astrology theme in this book. Yeah. Where like each chapter is basically like kind of aligns with the sign the number of the signs. So like the first chapter is Aries, the second chapter is Taurus. What mm-hmm. what made you throw that into the mix? Because you've you've done a really good job of cultivating a lot of things in one book. So like mm-hmm. what what inspired you to put the structure of astrology into it? I wanted to pick something that was accessible to just about everyone because um, I know that my readers are not going to be just people who identify as Bruja or Brujex, but who, you know, come from all different walks. Mm-hmm. And I think astrology is a really um, universal language and it's rising in popularity among people who were never into it before. Yeah. Um, it's becoming like uh, people are becoming fluent in it. So I thought this would be a nice way to offer some symbology, some uh, ritual elements, um, some journal prompts um, that people could use um, no matter what, where they're coming from. And the rituals themselves are also non-denominational. I just wanted them to be practical and kind of a blank slate that you could put your own spin on and your own traditions onto um, because that's what really helped me. So during that period, I, I, I definitely astrology became a huge crutch yeah. for me, like a language to understand my life and what was happening. Um, and the rituals that emerged were very personal. And I think that's the case for all of us. Yeah. I think the strongest rituals really arise from just like resourcefulness and the, the, the need for it in the moment. And um, I never wanted to impose one particular way or tradition onto people um, because we're coming from such different, you know, walks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just want to be inclusive. Yeah. Um, and without, without watering things down too much, um, you know, I think, I think we all have ancestors. And so that's the other, besides astrology, that was the other kind of thread is we can all connect with our ancestors yes. too. Um, uh, and so, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> good. Um, I was going to ask, uh, I, so obviously ancestors are a big part. Ancestral altars have been um, mentioned both in the book and in our discussion is it strictly ancestors that you work with? Do you work with deities? What does your personal practice look like in terms of like where, like what's in your toolbox? What are you pulling from? So um, my personal deities are, um, I've got a couple Buddhist ones, a couple Hindu ones, you know, a couple um, from my childhood in Catholicism and the yes. saints. Um, so it is really a mixed bag. Um, and I, I mentioned that in the book because I want people to know that it's okay to not have like a very consistent, you know, um, practice or even, um, only just one tradition that you can be respectful about learning traditions and using what helps you. Um, and I tried to um, delineate, you know, that line between appropriation and appreciation. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's just a really gray area. And I, I step over that line 
sometimes as we all do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really think what it comes down to is, um, is it coming from a place of respect? Are you a student? Are you a humble student? Um, Is it helping you organically? That's all great. Um, It's when you try to profit off of something. I think that's the line for me when, when you're, you're, just quickly kind of absorbing something so that you can turn around and and make money yeah that's where it gets yeah no I think that's and I mean I think that's even more of a problem in recent years because of the popularity of just spirituality Mm -hmm. in general and so yeah that can I I mean I appreciate you though sharing sort of like your perspective because I feel like so many people are afraid to even like talk about it or breach it but I think you articulated it in a way that like I certainly agree with and I thought was very well spoken thank you um I actually wrote down I love because because you mentioned having the um the catholic history and working with saints and that's also a part of my practice because I was raised catholic um okay yeah and I like was super devout and like was in all the plays and stuff and I was like really little like wanting to be a priest and then I I, th- I think I like said it to my sister and she was like, women can't be priests. And then I asked my yeah. religious education teacher why. And it was like, because women can't communicate with God. And I was like, oh, fuck oh. that. So then I like stop. I was like, okay. I like cold turkey. I like turned into a witch the next day. Oh. <laughs> um, but I loved in your book and I wrote it down because you wrote, they are Catholic. They reject Catholicism. And I was like, dude, that's so true. That's so how I feel. <laughs> Yeah, um, I always loved Catholicism because it's so pagan. It is. It's so witchy. I'm like, I just buried a statue in my yard so we could sell our house, but, like, I'm not a witch. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so confusing as a child to be told that certain things are evil, and then then you're, you know, trained in these rituals that are, you know, Mm -hmm. literally the blood of Christ. Um, Yeah. So I was always into it. I was always the most avid student of it in the, you know, like the church classes I had to go to after school every week to get my communion and my confirmation and all that. Um, And I would ask so many questions. I was so into it and they were just so upset at me and I didn't understand why, you know, like they're, they just shut me down and everybody else is just sitting there bored, not saying anything. Um, And so that's when I kind of realized like, Oh, it's not really about learning or reverence or anything. It's really just about power. Yeah, and totally. Obedience. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. They, they tell you when you're young, like ask questions. And then when your questions get more complicated, they're like, shut up. Just, yeah. just say the prayer. Just accept. <laughs> just accept. Yeah. It's so culty too. When everyone gets up and sings and like hold hands and like, like the call and response between the priest and parishioners I'm like this is a cult but like I'm not trying to offend the yeah. Catholics I'm, I'm saying is this a person who was raised Catholic it's just just a little observation yeah um I'm, yeah I'm curious like because you spoke to so many different people and you have done such a deep dive into like all these different practices and done a lot of research how do you find like how did you feel like your practice evolved as you were were putting this book together because you already kind of were practicing and now you're doing more research, talking to more people. Were there things that changed in your own um, approach to spirituality? Yes. Um, 
I think in my grief moment, I rejected a lot of stuff for a few months that I had always believed in. Because, you know, those moments really test your faith and test everything. And I was just kind of starting to get weary of, um, do you know how the toxic positivity of some spiritual circles and maybe like some of the people I had been running with who were like just saying all the wrong things and it's not their fault, but you know, like if you haven't gone through a big loss, sometimes you say, you know, things to try to spin it into something positive or how, or something spiritual, like, Oh, uh, you know, at least his spirit is moved on or, he's at peace now or something like that, you know, things like that, that just grated at me. And I just realized like, Oh, the spirituality is sometimes, um, just a way to stay asleep. Um, and so I kind of, uh, retreated into myself and let go of a lot of the way I was practicing before the pandemic. Um, and I didn't know that I would get back to it. I felt like I wouldn't be able to finish this book. And I felt like all the magic was lost in my life. Um, but then slowly, as I started to talk to these practitioners that I interviewed, and this is why I'm so grateful to them for being part of this project, I started to see the route to connection again. And it was so much more simple. It was like, go outside and tend to your soil. It was like, turn the earth and make it better again. Um, and I did, uh, at one point, like I just went around my yard and I like picked up all the debris and I put it in a big pile and burned it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned into like a two day kind of like coal bath where it was like steaming and smoking for two days and then I just took like a smoke bath in it oh nice and it was it started to rain on me and um it was just those kind of organic things that I did at home with the earth that brought me back I guess it was the earth element the earth itself um yeah and just tending to plants and tending to my my yard, um, which is very wild. I say tending, but it was like a wild yard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like being with bugs also, like I'm a beekeeper. Um, so yeah. So being with the bees was a really big help. Um, so yeah, I started to see the magic in the earth again and it, it evolved from there into, I think a more sustainable practice. Yeah. I think before it was like a little more showy and now it's just a little closer to the ground. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> I feel like sometimes it's nice too to just like connect with something that is like the earth is just always going to be there. like, I mean, in our lifetime, it's always just going to be here and it's, con- it's consistent in its own way, even though it's seemingly more inconsistent, but I think yeah, that it, even- even though climate change, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though, like, we lit it on fire, basically, it's. <laughs> but no, I think that that's a really, a really valuable thing to, kind of lean into, especially if people are like in this dark place where it's just like, it, it kind of makes things simple where you can just let your mind untangle itself on its own pace, but you're finding a way to stay engaged with with life and magic. 
Yeah. I am so glad that you came here to talk to me today. I wanted to ask you before I let you go, because I can't believe we're, we're almost, we're already at 50 minutes. It's just flew by. I know, but I wanted to ask you like what advice you would give to someone who is just starting to try to understand like their generational shadows or is trying to kind of peel back the layers of where they come from spiritually or culturally, what, what you would advise them for that journey. access and you know keep in touch with the thing that inspires you and that gives you health through the whole process because it's it's a hard long road it can be re-traumatizing it can be emotionally draining so create containers for the work Mm -hmm. you know open up the space to do this work and then close up the space and then get in touch with your motivation behind doing the work, which is hopefully something that makes you feel happy uh, and good um, and take care of yourself because the work will always be there. It's, it's generations long. It's lifetimes long. You're not going to do it overnight. So (laughs) just take care of yourself. (laughs) Yeah. um, Try to have, you know, enjoy your life. Um, I wish I would have told like 10 years ago me that, you know, that I'm going to be working on this for the rest of my life. So I might as well make it sustainable and not throw myself against the wall constantly (laughs) and be upset and uh, have no boundaries. Like the boundaries are the most important thing. I feel that you can. Yeah. Across the board. (laughs) Boundaries. Yeah. 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 It's. It's like one of the, I think it's like the first thing witches should learn before they make their magic or like learn their, you know, their spells. That's what I always tell empaths because I feel like empaths are basically like undertrained psychics. And I always tell them like the reason you don't have psychic ability refined yet is because you have to show the other side that you have to set boundaries and say no and keep things out or they're not going to give you more. Like you have to, you know, kind of prove that you can control things. And so I think that like, that's totally true about magic as well. Yeah. You got to keep yourself protected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. I'm like, I'm so delighted to have officially spoken with you. Um, I feel like we're going to stay in touch and be friends. (laughs) Um, I hope so. <laughs> yes. If people want to find you online, if they want to reach out to you, um, and, and are there any services that you offer? You know, I am an on-again, off-again astrologer, so I offer readings. I don't know that I'll be doing it, like, publicly, but, you know, if you reach out to me, I'll try to make time. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair I enough. It. I love it so much, uh, but, yeah, I... Right now, I'm just, I work at a plant shop, actually. I'm like a full-time um, shop manager of a, of a house plant shop in St. Pete. So I'm just connecting to plant magic. I love um, it. Late. Yeah, so I'm, I'm keeping my head down. I'm doing that, and hopefully we'll be writing some more. I hope you do. So. I hope you do. And how do people find you, um, your social media and your website and all that? How do they reach out? Yes, the best way is Instagram at Witchy Heights. That's the the one I'm on the most. So perfect. Yeah. 
far my DMs aren't too terrible, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. thank you again. Thank you so much.